0: It's hard to transition now, but I'm going to go into the Word of God in Genesis chapter 16, and there's, there's a connection here, which is pretty, pretty cool. Genesis chapter 16. We're living in this time, when you think about it, and um, I, in my own life and your lives too, one of the things that fascinates me is how everybody wants privacy, but there's no such thing. Let me explain. I mean, I'm not an expert in technology. I'm not even. I mean, I'm not even like. I'm the furthest thing from it. So I don't speak as an authority. But on the little information that I do know, and from my little knowledge, I do know. The truth is that anywhere you go, everything you do, it's all visible. I'm not an expert. Now, why do you think there are all these issues with like Facebook and Google and all these media giants with privacy and they've had problems and things getting, because nothing can be hidden for too long. That's the end of the story. Doesn't matter how you slice it, dice it, try to convince yourself, everything you do, everything you say will be exposed. Because sometimes we live like it's not true. I mean, you, you, cross, you cross the intersection, and then you get a piece of mail, and it says, you were 10 miles an hour over in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. That's what it says in the letter. And then it says, please pay 250 bucks. And you're like, oh, what? Because they saw me? Yeah. You missed a flash, but the camera got you at the intersection. You know? <laughs> I had to laugh because my mom got, well, it's not funny, but she got one of those a few weeks ago in Cleveland. They had more of those around there than we do around here. So she got a ticket for for going through a red light. Nobody does it except for Nate Leonard. No, I'm kidding. Um, So nothing is hidden. You go into the store, there's cameras everywhere you look, and you don't know if that bubble's a camera or not, so you better not take a chance, whatever you're doing. Even picking your nose. Don't do that cuz you'll be on camera. <laughs> you can't do anything in privacy. Every single message you send out on Facebook or your text will be exposed if somebody wants to find it. Yeah, amen. End of story. I, I mean, I'm not an expert. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm pretty right. <laughs> Things come out years later. They'll dig through it, they'll find the documents, they'll find the font, the script, the encrypted, whatever you had, whatever you were doing, your code words. They'll find out what you said and what you were up to if they really want to. Nothing is hidden. And that's what we live now. Everywhere you go, you're seen, everywhere, anywhere. There's cameras, there's technology, people hear you, people record things, there's people taking videos of stuff. You can't, nothing is private. My point is. We live in such a world where there is nothing hidden, and yet we struggle. And if you're a Christian, even as a Christian, but, but especially for those, if you're not a Christian, you think, well, I can't believe in this God, and that's fine. You have a, you have, you have a faith thing, and you, your faith is there is no God. That's what you believe, right? But, but we, have, we have a hard time believing that there is this God, even as Christians, that sees us all the time. And we live that way as if we're going to hide something. There is nothing that you are doing that will not be exposed and be known. Amen. Nothing. I've already mentioned that before, maybe in other context. But you, you, it, nothing. And so to make that leap, to understand and to know that God sees everything and knows everything, really shouldn't be hard. When as humans, when people with their wisdom, they create all this technology where there is nothing hidden. I mean, they can tell you that you know, North Korea is building a nuclear site or Iran is up to this because satellites 200 miles above the earth. They can pinpoint and they can see everything. They can tell you what time it happened to. They can almost tell you who did it. And it's going to get that way soon. So my point is, is that nothing is hidden. Everything will be seen. This morning we're talking about in Genesis 16 the fact that, the, that God is a God who sees. God sees you. God is a God who sees, and He sees you. And our scripture this morning is in Genesis chapter 16. But let me just make a point that throughout scripture, you will find throughout the Bible where God reveals Himself and He says things about Himself. He says... I am and then he you know X Y or Z he, he fills it in he, and he reveals himself to individuals or to people groups and he tells them what they are and, and he makes that declaration to Moses he did many of those and in the Old Testament he did many of those you know I am Jehovah Nisi I am Jehovah he goes on and on and on so on and so forth and, and he reveals himself but there are cases in scripture as well where there are people who give God names or a, hallelujah praise God <laughs> Listen, God, God, God is God, God. sees, He hears, and He speaks. So, um, that is perfect for the recording, man. It's awesome. So, so God, God, God I'm lost by train of thought now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So God reveals himself, and there's people who give him names. And there's a beautiful thing in our text that we're gonna get to in a moment. Where one of the characters in our text, she says she gives God a name, and God doesn't rebuke her or correct her and say, No, 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 you can't call me that. That's a man-made name. Don't don't go there. I didn't give you that name. I didn't call that, don't call me that. But in our scripture this morning, there's a woman who gives God a name, and God's like, I'm okay with that, I'm cool, because you know what? That is my character, that is my attribute, that's my nature. essence, that's who I am, and so that's good, you can call me that, And, and he's given that name, we'll get to that in just a moment, all right, so here's, but it's very important, here's the context, not to bore you, this is more of a narrative thing this morning, but I want to try to go quickly through, so if I'm talking fast, just follow me, I usually do anyway, but follow me, Genesis chapter 11, Five chapters back in, if you're in Genesis 16, you, you read about Abram and Sarai. A lot of us know about Father Abraham and Sarai and the whole story and all the details and what's going on. Let me just give you a few of them for some of you who aren't familiar or that so you can come up to speed. So Abram and Sarai are with his father, right? And they're in an Ur of the Chaldees, right? They're, they're hanging out there. They're, they're nomads. Well, they're not really nomads yet, but they're, they're camped out and that's where they live. That's their home. And they all leave and they go towards Canaan. But on the way there, they settle, they stop down, they settle in a place called Haran. And the Bible makes a point in chapter 11 that while they're in Haran, God points out that Sarai, Abram's wife, is barren. Now, that's a really, really big deal. Without getting into details, in that culture, in that time, it's still a big deal today right i mean it, it, it's a huge deal for a woman to not be able to to conceive or to have a baby or a child or a couple and th- that whole that whole thing it's a big deal but in other cultures in our world even now it's a much bigger deal than it is even here in our country in the West. in the west that whole thing we've kind of learned to deal with it but that's it's a whole other discussion right but it's a big deal Because you're talking about bloodlines and an heir and in particular having a son that could carry on the bloodline and to be an heir and having a boy was like a huge, huge deal for social and even political reasons and bloodlines and so on and so forth. A big deal. And she's barren. In chapter 12, God tells Abram and Sarai, listen, leave your family. Abram, leave your parents. All the stuff you got, get up and go and go where I'm going to tell you. But where am I going? I don't know. Just get up and go oh okay so he packs everything up and he gets going right he gets going and I'll show you what it is I see you I know all about you I know who your parents are I knew where you came from I know where I'm going to take you I see it and so on top of that he says I'm going to bless you I'm going to give you many descendants and I could just see Abraham like what what Like, I'm already getting up and leaving everything, not knowing where I'm going. And then you're telling me this thing about I'm going to have many descendants and my wife is barren. Think about that. I mean, we can't even relate to that, so many of us. Especially culturally and in that culture. But God made a promise. He gave his word. And in chapter 15, we fast forward. God promises a son. Not just an heir, but a son in verse 4. You will have a son. And he goes on and makes a covenant with Abraham there. And he's going to have many descendants. He's going to have a son, an heir to th- and, he, and, and Abraham's like, I, but Sarah. Chapter 16. About 10 years later, Let's read what it says in verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my way, perhaps, my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Aaron listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Aaron as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave you my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah. Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. And we'll stop there. And this is 10 years later. And we, we have this account now. What's happening? They're here alone. It's 10 years later, and there's still no kids. There are no kids coming. And Sarah has an idea. She has an idea. I got to take this off. Sarah has an idea. And she, listen. How many, how many times have you or do you know people that they, they know what God, they, what God wants from their lives or maybe what God has spoken to them, but then they get these ideas, you know, of how they're going to, can I just say, they're going to help God to keep his word. <laughs> they're going to help God keep his word. And no matter what it means, I'm gonna, you get impatient or maybe you're just so zealous and excited, you're going to help God and you come up with an idea to do that. Boy, I have heard And I have had some, I mean, in in my lifetime, but but, but I've heard of some and I've experienced, I've heard some interesting ideas that people have had to help God or to make sure that what God said would happen or that God is faithful to his word, that they do certain things to help God along. Let me just tell you, God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your help. He's God. He's creator. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. He doesn't need your help to keep his word because you don't know his timing anyway. You don't know his plan through and through anyway. And she has, she has an idea. Let's help God. And so then there's Hagar. Hey, Abram, why don't you take Hagar? Let's help God. Listen, she is our slave girl from Egypt. And let me just tell you a little history. Back in chapter 12, After God calls him out, there's a famine in the land, the Bible says. And Abram and Sarai, they end up having to go to Egypt because Egypt has a huge stock of food. And so they can eat and they can survive, right? They got to go and get food. So they go. And what happens when they get there is this. They go there and Abram, and the Bible says, he realized as they're about to get into Egypt to go to Pharaoh's courts, he realized, he says, hey, babe, listen, you are hot, man. You are so beautiful. I'm... The Bible says she was beautiful. So I'm going to believe she was beautiful. All right. Listen, here's what we got to do. Because of your hotness, you have to tell. You have to tell Pharaoh and the Egyptians that you're my sister. Because if you tell them that you're my wife, they're going to kill me so they can have you. And she's like, "Hmm, that's a good idea. Let's do it. So she goes along and Abram has this idea and he lies about his wife calling her her sister and as a result, they are spared. But do you know what happens in the process when they're spared? Pharaoh and the Egyptians begin to shower them with blessings. They get all kinds of livestock and other material things. They also get male and female servants or maid, maid servants, and they get, they. get that's part of the, the whole blessing and prosperity they get for being there because they're in favor with Pharaoh and, and the people of Egypt, leadership of Israel. I mean Egypt. So they have all this. That's where Hagar comes into the picture. Hagar's there, and in the end, what happens is, they they have all these, God sends a plague on the Egyptians because it's a consequence for this great idea that was never right in the first place. And now the Egyptians pay for it, and Abram and Sarah run out, and they have all this stuff. Now, don't ask me how that works, or why that works, or why that happened. It's not a formula for you to do the same thing, by the way. Okay? Just letting you know. But they walk away. They have all this, but because of the plague, Pharaoh says, "Get out of here! Why did you lie to me? And now God's striking us. Get out!" And so they go. And then we get to our story here, right? And so here's Hagar. She's the Egyptian slave or maidservant. And they, and she Sarai says, "Listen, it's been it's been ten years. Have a kid with her. Go do it. I'm good with it. Take her as your wife." Listen, in that culture, in that time, it wasn't uncommon for this kind of thing to happen without details. There are some kids here, whatever, but there aren't, that wasn't uncommon. But, that doesn't make it right. I'm gonna say it again. Because there's a principle here in our own culture. It was very common in that time to do this and take your servants and women in the household, make them your wife, and have more children with them. It doesn't make it right in God's eyes, and it isn't right in God's eyes. Now, wait a minute. God had a plan. Yes, He had a plan. Yes, He did. He did have a plan, and, and, he, and he, he, because He values life, there's a lot of principles there. Okay, and more. I don't have time for that, but. They, they did their own thing, and it wasn't right. Doesn't mean it was right. In our culture, we get bound up with doing so many things because it's common. It doesn't make it right or righteous. I, I don't hear any amens, and that's okay because that means you're thinking, and the Holy Spirit speaking to hearts. I'm believing that Sarah has a plan, but it's not God's plan. It's not God's plan. You can't make God help God, like I mentioned. Now listen, Sarai is upset with Hagar, and I read that in Abram, for her plan. Hagar, so Hagar's pregnant, and if you read into the scripture, you read what's there, the whole thing is that there's this weird dynamic going on now, and that's what happens with when you have multiple wives. That's why it's not God's best plan and not his intention, because, you know, there's a lot of, like, stuff going on with claws and whatever else, and, you know, whatever, all right? There's stuff that goes on there. And that's why God does not approve of this. He permitted it, but he doesn't approve of it, just like many other things he might permit, but he doesn't approve. It's not, but it's not permitted. Just like so you know, okay? They're doing their own thing, idea, And Sarah is upset with Hagar because Hagar is, is guilty too because she's like, ha ha, I'm pregnant. Abraham got me pregnant. You know, whatever. You're not, ha ha. I mean, I'm, I'm playing it up. But you know what? That is exactly what happened. I don't know the details and I can't, I'm can't. i not going to read too much into it or, but she was despising her because she's rubbing it in and there's a weird dynamic there look I'm carrying Abram's child you're not you know stuff like that that's happening and it gets so bad that, that Sarah's had enough of Hagar and she's frustrated and she wants to do something about it and Abram says well I don't know what to do uh, you know like any husband does with the, that there was anyway I don't know what to do. Do you want you decide it? And it's in, the power is in your hand. You decide what to do. Lack of lack of lack of leadership in the home. That's there's a lot of principles here, right? Uh, you, you do what you want. And she says, you know what? Get her out. Get her out. You know how she did it? She treated her like garbage. She started to treat her harshly, meanly, doing things that were uncalled for, probably even maybe physically, the psychological, emotional warfare, the things that went on, the persecution, the torturing. And finally it got so bad that Hagar said, I've got to get out of here. She did it on her own accord because Sarah made her do it because of her treatment of her. And she's like, I'm out of here. So she runs into the desert and she runs away. And you know what? She goes in that desert. Let me just throw a point out here. As we read this morning, sometimes when we find ourselves in the desert or in the wilderness or all alone in that place, and we don't, and sometimes it's not even our fault, although she had something to do with it too, I get it. But she's out there and she's alone and, and isolated and wondering, and, and isn't that where God meets us? Yeah. When you get to that place and you're in the low place and you're all alone and God meets you there. And He finds you there because He sees you and He knows where you're at. And you know what? Isn't that where we find true healing sometimes? When it's all alone, it's just us and God. We have nothing else to go to. We run out of ideas and we realize how foolish we are for the way we're living or what we're doing. Amen. Isn't that where God meets us? Isn't that when we're empty and we're we're hurt and we're losing hope and that's where God meets us? Verse 7 and 8, let's pick up there. In verse 7 and 8, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. This is after she leaves, right? She runs away. Found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. I'll stop there for now. Running away from Sarai. She is so horrible to her. She runs away. And and this is so powerful. Because even in that low place, when we get there, when we have as much to do with it, or or if it's not even our fault, we find ourselves in this place. There are these two powerful questions that the Lord, it's actually it's believed this is actually God Himself. He comes. He comes and He's speaking to Hagar. And he asks these questions. The angel asks two questions. Where have you come from? And then where are you going? Can I, can I phrase it a different way? Basically, what the angel, what the Lord is saying to Hagar is, what are you running away from? And, and what's your plan? What are you running away from? And what are you going to do? Like, what's your plan? Like, if you're running, what, what's going what's to happen? Where are you going to go? And she's saying, listen, I, I'm basically, it's because of, of Sarai. She's running from Sarai, and the angel says something. He says, go back and submit. Why? Because I'm working. I'm doing something. I see the situation. Go back and submit. It's the right thing to do because it's not resolved what was going on there. Can I just say something that if you're a runner and there's a lot of runners in this room, there's a lot of runners in Christianity, a lot of runners in this world and all they do is run, 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 run. If you do not resolve conflicts in one environment and context and you try to change your environment and context, you will still have the same issue to deal with and you're going to run for the rest of your life and you're going to be tired and weary, and you're going to miss out on everything God has for you because all you are is a runner. Amen. It's all you're doing. I don't mean this harshly, but if you want to do that, have fun. It's all I'm saying. It doesn't work. It's miserable. It's frustrating. Where have you come from? What are you running from? What's your plan? Where are you going now? Okay, so you're here. So now What? You're out here alone. Angel says, go back and submit. God wants you to go back and make things right. Make things right. As much as it is possible within your power and with God's help you can do this, you make things right, go back and submit. It might not be a person. It might be a situation. It might be something that's financial. It might be something that you fill in the blank. you got to go back and submit. you got to make it right because at some point you're going to have to address that in your life anyway. And God wants you to do it Now. Go back. And he says, go back. And he promises, you'll have this child. It won't be easy, but I see you. I know you and I know your situation. And this is the, this is the amazing thing about this whole story is that God reveals himself to an Egyptian slave girl. And you have to understand something now I know she's been with Abram and Sarah for a while, but she comes from a lifetime of pagan worship and idolatry and worshiping false gods that aren't, they're, they're not even gods, they're just made up and she's worshiping these carved images and it's all tangible items this whole time and then she has this encounter with God and God speaks and they it just reminds me of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 135, where these these people that don't serve the living God, they have these graven images, they have eyes, they can't see, they have ears, they can't smell, they have ears, they can't hear, they have mouths, they can't speak, they have feet, they can't walk, they have hands, they can't touch, they can't do anything, they're dead, They're they're nothing. And that's what she came from. And then the living God comes to her, and he speaks to her and says, go back and submit. And I got a plan, you're going to have this kid, it's not going to be easy, but I'm with you and I see you. And that God would reveal himself to this individual who has been worshiping graven images and now the living God appears and she says whoa I can't believe you're the you're El Rai you're the God who sees me and you've spoken to me and you've allowed me to live is what she's saying and you've been I've encountered you and I know you're real and thank you and you see me and you, you know me and you have a plan for me man if God can reveal himself to her he can reveal himself to anyone And when the voice of God speaks, Hagar is in awe. el ri you're the God who sees me. And all you're the so-called gods, man, what did I do? They're nothing. God, you're the one. I thank you and I trust you. And Abram and Sarai, all the worship that they did, it was right. It's you. You're the one true God. She comes to terms with that. And Hagar goes back. The Bible records, she goes back and she has Ishmael. And Ishmael is born. And it's just this crazy story that I'm kind of going over with you because it's just so much in here. She goes back, and then in 14 years after that, Isaac is born. Now Isaac is born. God gives Isaac to Sarah. And Sarah, who becomes pregnant, and she, the angel tells her, and she laughs, right? She laughs about it. But 14 years or so after Ishmael, Isaac is born. And there he is. And the Bible records in chapter 21 that Ishmael, who is a, probably a young teenager at this point, right? He is annoying his brother. Read it. Right, right from the beginning, he's annoying his brother and he's bothering him so much to the point that, that Hagar, as, with, with Ishmael, her son, that Sarah says, I can't handle this anymore. Ishmael is a pain and you know what? I can't handle this anymore. It's so horrendous. It never stops. The turmoil, the torment, the, 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 the ridicule, everything else that goes on. The Bible says the mocking that goes on. And Sarah says... Guess what, Hagar? I, I may have made you leave last time, but this time, get out. And now for the second time, she sends out Hagar from her household. And Hagar's gone and she's in the wilderness again. For the second time, we see within those five chapters in about 12, 13, 14 years apart. And she's alone with nothing with Ishmael out there. She runs away because she's driven there. And there she goes. She is and Ishmael is dehydrated, the Bible says. In chapter 21, he's dying and it's getting desperate and God still saw and he heard their cries, both Ishmael and Hagar in the wilderness the second time around. And you know what? God takes notice and he appears a second time and he reveals to her a well right next to her that is filled with water and he drinks and he lives. And listen, regardless, just as a thing, remember, this is where this this contention is because the joy, the, the part that wasn't easy that the angel told Hagar is that he would be a wild donkey of a man. I mean, if somebody told me and said, and, and, or someone spoke to me said, oh, thank God for the pregnancy of Sharon. Man, your son is going to be a wild donkey of a kid. Let me tell you, that would, I would be really nervous. I would be really nervous. Let me tell you something. It all came out to pass because God knows what's going on. And those that people group from Ishmael now are out in the east and they're still causing trouble to this day and they're in conflict with their brother and it's never ending and it will never end until Jesus comes again. And that's not negative. That's just the truth and it's the way God's plan is working out. I Don't ask me to explain everything. I can't. <laughs> he was a wild donkey of a man. But he, God still honored that because it's life. And he's born, he has a promise. And, and, and he lives, and he's satisfied. And I love that God's eyes are always on me. He's always awake, he never sleeps. In Proverbs chapter 15, in verse 2, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. God sees everything, another way to put it. And if you flip to Psalm 121, Psalm 121, verse 4, the Bible says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. God doesn't take naps. He doesn't even take a power nap. He doesn't even close his eyes because he's always watching and he's fully aware of what's happening around his creation and among people, the godly and the ungodly. He is fully aware. He sees everything and nothing is hidden. The idea that God watches over and sees all and everyone shouldn't scare us, but it can. You know when it can scare you? When you know you're not living right. When you know that your destiny without God and you have that fear because you haven't not, you're not, been forgiven of your sins, and you know that in your mind, your conscience, you're wondering, where am I going to go when I die? What's going to happen? I have to stand before God, and what's what's that's when you there's you're scared. You know, but as a believer, if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you have this confidence that you know he sees and he helps you and he can guide you, and, and, and he even sees when you mess up and you can go right back to the cross and be cleansed and then die to yourself again and do all over again, right? It's a beautiful thing because he sees that and it can be comforting and encouraging. Hebrews 4:13 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You will answer for everything you did, said, and thought. It's true. Jesus sees you. God sees you. So how does this all work for me today as we come to a close? How does this work? How, I mean, what about Jesus and me? What about God and me? What about today? And Hagar, okay, Hagar is thousands of years ago, and he appears to her, and God's merciful, and he blesses Sarah and Hagar, and he's with them, and, and he, he's ne- they're never out of God's sight. What about me? The truth is is that Jesus sees you even now, and he sees me right now. And so what do we learn from Hagar? And there's two things. The first thing is that we should trust God in and, 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 and spite of our circumstances, Trust God in spite of your circumstances. It wasn't fair. It was unjust in some ways, although she wasn't totally right either. But the second time around, I don't know. But but it it doesn't matter. In spite of the circumstances, she trusted God. John 14 to chapter 16, the Bible records and says, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and he's, he's promising them the Holy Spirit, but he starts off in John chapter 14, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then if you go to John chapter 16, verse 33, he says there at the end, he says, in this world, you will have many troubles or tribulations. Wait, don't let your heart be troubled. Oh, by the way, um, as my children, as my people, as my disciple, um, in this world, you're going to have many troubles. Wait, Jesus. But then he says something, because I have overcome the world. Amen. I have overcome the world. That's what he says. Hebrews 11, all those people of faith, do you think they didn't try to trust God in spite of their circumstances? Everything that they went through, and some of them, boy, they had some painted sinful histories, and God still called them people of faith because they ran to God, and they knew that God is the God who sees, and they went to the cross over and over and over, if I could put it that way. They went to God over and over and over again. Right? Secondly, we learned from Hagar that God is greater than any brokenness or trouble in your life right now. Period. God is greater. You know, in Mark chapter 6, there's a story there where Jesus, he instructs, this, this is really, really powerful thing. He instructs his disciples, his followers, to get into a boat and to cross the sea. Now, he, he gave them an order or a command, right? Instruction. Then he, and then the Bible says that he sent them across, but he went to the mountainside to pray. Okay, nice. That's cool. Jesus is having his lone time with God. He's connecting, but he instructs us, and they obey. They go. So they obey Jesus. They're going across the sea. And what happens? There's a storm. Thanks, Jesus. Didn't you know that was coming? And he's up there praying. And the Bible says in chapter 6 of Mark that Jesus saw them. And there's a really interesting, uh, it blows my mind. I don't know why it's there. I. Maybe I should dig deeper. It says there that Jesus saw them and he went on the water and it says he walked on the water and he and it says, Mark records, that he intended to walk by them. Now that's nice, Jesus. You see them, and you're just gonna not what what he intended, but this is so important about the principle of the fact that God is God El Rai, that He's the one that sees. It says that He intended to pass by them, but it says there that but when He saw, but when He saw don't ever think that God doesn't see you. And maybe you're doing the right thing. And he's told you to go the right way. And it ain't going the way you thought it would. And it's a struggle. But God sees you. And he might even be, you think he's removed because he's on the mountainside praying. And, you, and God, but you told me to do this. Where are you? I'm struggling. And he says there. But when he saw, when he saw what? When he saw them straining at the oars, he Stopped. That's the God who sees. Amen. He doesn't just blow by you. Sometimes it feels like it. And it might be part of his plan. And he, he, he might still be on the mountainside. And you're like, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. What's going on here? But he sees you. And then he comes. And He tell you, he stops because he sees you straining. He knows. Amen. He's the God who sees. Thank you. Thank you. He saw their struggle. So this morning, I'm going to get right to it. What are you running from? Where, where have you come from? And what's your plan? Where are you going? Yeah, so, so you got to this point because you made a decision. And, and what are you going to do now? You're going to try to keep running again? You're going to try to do whatever? I'm just going to tell you that it's time for you to submit. And you know whatever that is doesn't even mean that you go back to, to, to Sarah. It could mean whatever. But you go resolve that thing by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit, and you make it right. You resolve that conflict. And you know what? Maybe in 14 years like Hagar, it might happen again. Well, now she drives you out. God still sees you. God still sees you. And I am not backing down on that. It's the truth. God sees you. You know, maybe you're in a season or of a desert. You feel alone and you're empty. Are you running away from God himself? Are you running away from the truth? Are you running away from your true heart or sin condition that's there right now and you just, you won't let it go? Are you running away from someone that you don't want to deal with? How about that one? God hasn't called us to do that. He's called us to do everything we can to make it right. And to resolve whatever that struggle, whatever that thing was that caused us to run away. And now we find ourselves at wit's end. And we really don't have a plan of what we're going to do. And that's why God says, what are you going to do? And he's saying, just submit. Really, he's saying, saying, submit to my word. Submit to me. Do what I tell you. Make it right. I want to leave you with those questions. And we're going to play one song. And I'm just going to basically get up and say Amen. But if you want to stay and pray, I'll be here. I know we got to go because of the Fall Festival. We're going to play this last, oh, the screen's, because the words are up there. But I do want to play this song as we close. And just to remind us that God sees us. And um, let's get in tune and get right with him. Amen. Amen. It's coming. Sorry, Jeremy. Praise God. Lord, we just pray, Lord, this morning, God, that we, as we exit, Lord, that we would go into this day and this week, Lord, humbly and yet with confidence because we know that you're the God who sees. Amen. 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 God bless you. If you want to stay and pray, you're more than welcome, but I understand we need to get to the, the festival. Amen. God bless you. He's the God who sees.